Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia at 9.30 and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. We hope you'll be able to join us, but in the meantime, enjoy this recording of last week's message. So how many of you are fans of either America's Got Talent or The Voice? Like you watch those kind of, okay, so those are, those are a thing. Those are on and um, people really get into those. Uh, I, I can't say I'm necessarily a fan. I, I, I don't know who the judges are, and I, I haven't really tracked with like who's doing what there. I, American Idol was a thing years ago. I, that was a thing, but I sort of, sort of stopped paying attention. Um, so I would say I'm not a fan of those shows, except if I'm ever flipping through the channels, which isn't often because I only have like five of them, but when I'm flipping through and I come across one of those shows when it's on, I got to confess, I get really sucked in, you know, or I'm just like, wow, you know, because you'll see someone and you're like, listen to her sing. She's incredible. Like, how does she do that? Look at the talent this guy has. He plays guitar and he sings so well or, or whatever. Like, I get drawn into these shows because, uh, partly because I, I did a lot of singing in, in my life too and was a voice major in college. And so I appreciate people who can sing really well. But I think I just appreciate people who are really talented and can show off their thing and to, and to do it well. Not just, not just music. Uh, I, I appreciate a barista who makes a really great drink, you know, who can like, uh, who knows how to make really good foam and can like pour a picture of your face in the foam or whatever. Like, that's awesome versus the barista who gives you like soapy bath water, basically. You know, I'm like, oh, come on, like get, get good at your job, you know. I appreciate a teacher who knows their material really well and presents really well. Like, I, I love that. I love professional athletes who are, who are good at, at what they do. It's, 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 fun, to, it's fun to watch. Um, but the truth is, all of those people who are good at something, they, they had to learn it, right? Even if you see someone who's a painter, they didn't come out of the womb knowing how to paint incredibly, you know? Like, their mom still has their crappy third-grade drawings that she put on the fridge or whatever. Like, they had to put in the time to get good. Uh, professional athletes, they, you, you love how they perform, but they had to put in the time. When I see Steph Curry hit three-pointers, I'm like, this guy's really good. But he had to put in the decades to practice to get there. Now, he's the son of an NBA player. That helps, I'm sure. Uh, but he still had to put in the time himself to get to that, that kind of level. And if you've ever tried to be good at something in, in any of those arenas, you know how much work it takes. I, I did music in college and said I was doing voice and piano and guitar. And you just spe- spend a lot of time in the practice room. Like, you love public performances, you love to sing on stage or play piano or perform, that's great, but the reality is all of those public performances were made in a practice room, a little room with a piano, and you just had to go through and, and kind of do your reps and do it over and over until you were just sick of it. And, and this kind of brings me to a truth of life, and, and it's this. I, I think some of the greatest things you will ever do in your life will be done in private, not in public. Yes, you'll get public accolades. You might get employee of the year, salesman of the quarter, or you might, you might, you know, uh, win some sort of prize in your field, or people will be like, man, you just did so well. That was great. Thanks for doing that thing. But the reality is, whatever that thing is, that thing you achieved publicly, it was made through a whole lot of private things, a lot of quiet, secret, hidden discipline that you had to do in order to get to, to this, this high level. That is true of all sorts of things in life, not just performance. That's true of things like our faith, uh, religious behavior, religious things that we might do. 
When I speak up here, you're hearing probably the best 30 minutes of my week. But I have 157 and a, or 167 and a half other hours of the week, or whatever, 167, 166, I don't know. There's a bunch more hours in the week. Uh, and, and, and what I did for 30 minutes here had to be prepared for quietly and by myself and the Lord or for, month, for uh, weeks before this and hours before this. So um, there, there's, there's a whole lot of private work that goes into anything that we do public. Same thing with like something like praying. If I asked you right now, if I called on someone at random and said, hey, would you just pray for the whole group? That'd freak you out, right? You'd be like, no, don't call on me. You start looking down like he's not going to call on me, is he? Um, it freak you out because um, I think to some degree, yes, we hate public speaking. I get that. But I think to some degree, we're aware that public performance, speaking in front of a crowd like that or praying out loud, really, you got to put in the private reps and you're like, have I prayed enough on my own? Do I know all the right words to say? This should be easy for me, but what if it's not? And, and so uh, there, there's definitely that connection there between your public life and your private life. Jesus understood this very well. When he walked around and taught thousands of years ago, people were dealing with the same sort of thing, the, the disconnection between who they, who they say they are publicly and then who they are actually in their private lives. Um, and he had a word for this. We talked about it last week. He would call people hypocrites, people who are play actors, stage actors. They're performing, pretending to be something when there's something very different. And in his most famous teaching that we're looking at here in this series um, called the Sermon on the Mount, uh, it's really a talk he gave on a hillside and near, around the Sea of Galilee. Uh, we've been looking at different things he said, and we're asking the question, we're, we're sort of looking at them and we're going like, for real, Jesus? Because we call the series for real. Because there are things Jesus says that we sort of go like, are you serious? Like, are we supposed to do that? That's crazy. This is difficult. This is challenging stuff. And we say, for real, as we... As we, as we look at what, what he's teaching. And in his teaching, he starts out by saying, blessed, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the, those who mourn, blessed are the peacemakers. And what that did at the beginning of his talk is it got the entire crowd of thousands of people to sort of go like, oh, wow, God has blessing for me. God loves me. God knows me. I'm in a hard situation, but God sees me according to this Jesus guy. And so he starts by sort of pronouncing his blessing over the people. And then he goes into what you would call sort of moral issues, um, anger and lust and murder and divorce and promises, keeping promises and, and these sorts of things. He gets into all of these things, um, and we looked at those last week. Um, and, and all along the way, Jesus points us to the deeper issue. He doesn't just take it on the surface. The surface might be murder, but underneath murder is anger. The surface might be adultery, but underneath adultery is lust. Like he, he goes into the heart of the thing at all times, and, the, and because he gets at the heart of it, that's why his teachings have endured for thousands of years, because he understands humanity in a way that no one else does, and he, and he points us to some things and really challenges us. So I want to kind of pick it up there. He, he had just been talking about, in the sense, things you shouldn't do, you know, things to stay away from, lust and anger and, and whatever, and now he's going into some things that we should be doing. You would consider these sort of religious things to do. And so he, he talks to a, a pretty religious crowd about their religious behavior. And again, he goes after the heart. It starts Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. All right, so he's going he's gonna to shift to practicing your righteousness, which is doing religious things. So praying, fasting giving money to the temple or whatever, like giving money away. He says, be careful when you do those things 
that you're not doing them in order to be seen by people. Now, it's okay that you do them and that people see you. That's not the problem. The problem is in the motive. Are you doing them in order to be seen? That's what he's challenging us and saying, hey, notice this, that in your own heart, that you're doing things so that other people will see you. It's fine that you do these things, but you've got to understand your, 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 your motives. Um, and, he, and he would call people who, who do things in order to be seen, he would call them hypocrites. Now, he goes specifically about prayer. We'll talk about some of the others next week, but I want to talk about prayer today. Listen to what he gives examples of this, a, a prayer about, about how people are hypocrites. Verse, uh, verse 5, he says this, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received the reward, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heave up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Jesus points us to the secret life, a a hidden life, a a quiet life. Christians for a couple millennia have been referring to this as the discipline of secrecy, the discipline of, I'm not going to make a big deal out of this. I'm going to have this quiet, hidden side to me, this private life of spiritual discipline where I follow Jesus and I'm not going to like, you know, make, make my own show about it. And he points out how people do that um, in prayer. In the first century, when he described this, people knew exactly what he's talking about. Uh, they're familiar with people who pray publicly on the street corner in front of the synagogue in order to be seen. People make a big show, oh, Lord, and they're like loud. And and when he says, hey, don't do that thing where you make a big show of it, everybody in that audience would have been like, oh, yeah, like those people. Like, we know who does that. People make a big thing out of their prayers, and they try to sound really impressive, and they try to look really religious, and they try to look really holy. Um, We have less of that in our culture than they had in their culture, for sure. Um, it's, it's very different. However, we still sometimes do some weird things with prayer. I remember in the church I grew up in, um, they would have one of the elders come up and pray before communion. Inevitably, there'd be like one guy who was on the rotation to come up and talk about communion and pray. And he would get up there and, he, and as soon as he started, he would talk about something with his family and the scripture and whatever. And then he would pray. And as soon as he would pray, he would be like, thou, O Lord, thou art. And this whole like, Shakespearean sort of King James language thing. And, you know, me as like a 13-year-old kid, I'm like, why is he talking like that? It's so weird. Like, why are you doing that, dude? Because I, I would talk to him outside of his prayers, and he doesn't sound like that. I'm like, why do you put on this weird language when you go to pray? Like, it doesn't make any sense. It, it didn't make any sense to me, like, why, uh, why, people, why people do that. And we have less of that in our culture, I think, because people are nervous about public speaking. Um, but I think the principle from Jesus is still good. Do, do the things in secret. He actually says, like, don't make a scene of your prayers. Instead, like, go into a quiet place. Go into your room. Shut the door. Like, find a closet somewhere. And then God is going to see you. Because the reality is, when you make a show of your prayers, and people see that, and they're like, wow, you're really holy. Jesus is like, that's your reward. If you want people to think you're awesome, you got it. If you want to manipulate your image that way, you did it. But if you actually want to communicate with your heavenly Father and build a relationship with him, then don't make a show of it. Make it actually between you and him. And then he points to when people get overly wordy, they repeat prayers, and they they repeat these phrases over and over. 
Um, again, that's not so much a problem for us when we pray that we would repeat the phrases over and over. Maybe we do have some of that. And, and honestly, a lot of people feel like, man, if I had to pray out loud, I would sound like Ben Stiller and Meet the Fockers, and I'm really concerned about all the phrases I would just start lumping in there in order to get through the prayer or whatever. Um, it can feel like a lot of pressure. How can I do this well? Um, how, do I, how do I pray well? How do I, um, how do I, how do I speak to God and, and it not be so awkward. And so anticipating that, Jesus then goes and teaches us how to pray. So listen to this. It starts in verse 9. He says this, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, here's the thing. When we read that, it sounds to us like religious language. And you can probably, you've probably said it in a church before, maybe even in this church, and you can picture a whole group of people saying it like a chant, right? Like people saying this in unison, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, right? You probably, maybe you even have it memorized. But when they first heard it, it was shocking. It did not sound to them like a religious chant. It sounded weird. You're like, who? if you had heard Jesus say, this is how you should pray, the average person in that audience would have been like, who talks like that to God? That is inappropriate. For example, he starts, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The word fa Father, he uses there is the Aramaic, the Abba, which is a word that's basically like daddy. It's almost like baby babble talk like how a small child would talk to their father, daddy, papa, that kind of thing. Jesus uses that word to address God in heaven. And people would freak out about you being so casual with God. Wait, you're addressing the creator of the universe, you're calling him daddy? That's like super inappropriate. It, like, it would strike them that way. But what do we learn from that? Well, Jesus is telling us that when you pray to your heavenly father, it's, you're talking to your dad and, and, and it needs to be relational language. For if prayer is meant to be communication with God, yeah, but let's not get it like, oh, the holy speak to the deity kind of thing. Let's keep it relational, like talking to a father. Relational language is not formal. It's not supposed to be. Um, it's, it's, it's informal, right? It's casual. Um, and so use that. Use the language you have. Pray what you got. If you don't have fancy words, don't use fancy words. Um, use the words that you have to say how you feel in the moment. Um, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then he says, um, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So you've acknowledged who God is. He's this holy God in heaven. He's your Father. And then you say, that's who I am. I'm, uh, you're acknowledging this kingdom reality that, that I live in this subset of, of the larger culture called the kingdom of God. And I'm a part of this thing and I'm your follower. I'm your child. I'm, I'm in it. And God, here's, you know, here's what I'm asking that your kingdom uh, gets, gets real out here on earth. The things that are not like heaven, we help make them. Like when I look around Richmond and go, that's a mess, that's a mess. Like we want to get in there and work on that. We want your kingdom to be real down here on earth so that people can experience it as well. Um, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Then he says, give us this day our daily bread. 
Now, inevitably, when you pray, you're going to ask God for something. A lot of us, our prayers are asking God for something. I pray, God, help me on this test. God, help me. I'm about to travel. Keep me safe. God, make this food taste really good and make it bless my, nourish my body, that kind of thing. Our prayers are often directed to God where we just ask him for something. And that's okay. It's okay to leverage our connection with our creator to the one who can actually do something and, and ask him to step in and, and, and do something for us. But I sort of wondered as I was hearing that, I'm like, man, wouldn't it get annoying though if you're God for your children to constantly be asking you for stuff? Like so often. And, and some of our prayers are, you know, like, man, is this ridiculous? Like we're sitting there praying like, God, may this food nourish our body. And God's like, you're eating Taco Bell. There's only so much I can do about that. Like, good, good try, but I mean, you gotta, yeah. God's over there like, I help people who help themselves. Uh, um, not in the Bible, just kidding. He doesn't say that. Um, no, but I was thinking about, does it get annoying for God when we ask him? Because this is very daily. Give us our daily bread, just a normal, regular, regular thing. Is this, does God hear that, or does he get annoyed with it? And I thought about, as a dad, how this works. Now, my, my, my sons are 16, 14, and 12. When they were little, um, man, they ask you for stuff all the time. And they want water. They, they ask to be fed. <sighs> they want to go down the slide. They want to leave that store. They don't want to go in that store. They, need, they want their shoe. They want, there's just, it is relentless, the things they ask you for. And, some, and, and do I resent them asking me for things? Not really. Like, I know at the end of the day I'm tired. And so sometimes I'm just kind of like, nobody asks me for any more of the things. I don't, there's no thing I'm going to give you, get for you, do. I'm just going to sit here and then you better go to bed because I can't get you any more things in the world. And so I, I get that. Now, my kids are older, so it's, it's different those of you who have little children, good days are ahead. I just want you to know. Because now we can reason, we can nuance some things, we can just determine which things are reasonable and unreasonable, and we can kind of work. I mean, they still ask for things. But truthfully, do I resent that my children ask me for things, even simple things? No, I don't. It's because they're my kids. And I have access to things that they don't have access to. And sometimes they want things and, and they come to me because they know I can get those things. And that's okay. Because the day's coming, they're not going to ask me anymore. And it's okay that in the relationship they ask me. Do I get annoyed? Sure. But I'm, I'm broken and imperfect. Our Heavenly Father, it's not hard for me to imagine a Heavenly Father who actually likes his children to ask things. And so I think you can go to him and be direct. And he doesn't get tired of it. And he's not like, why would you ask for that? That's so, like, you can, he can hear you. So be direct. Go to God and, and, and tell him, this is where I'm at. This is, these are things that, that I want. Help me. He continues on in the prayer. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts is, hey, I've sinned. I've blown it. It is to say to God and acknowledge, I've messed up. I'm going to own my stuff. And that's a good thing to do. There's something really powerful about acknowledging, saying out loud what, what you've done, ways that you've messed up. It's uncomfortable for us because we don't like to be exposed, but it's different, right? If you're a kid and you break the vase in the hallway and your mom's like, who broke the vase? Okay, so to confess that, well, usually you look at your brother, you're like, it was probably him, you know, or whatever. 
But like for you to confess it and come out with it and be like, it was me, that's hard because they don't know who, who did it and you have to say, I did it. It's different with God. You confess to God. He already knows. You're not going to surprise him. God, I did this. And he's like, yeah, I know. I saw that. I was there. I, I know what you did last summer and all the other summers before. Like I was, I've watched the whole thing. Like, um, but that's, uh, this is where I think prayer in a sense, doesn't change God. He's not surprised. Like, you don't, you're not bringing him something he didn't know. But it does change us when we speak it out loud, when we confess our sins to God, and when we confess our sins to one another, they become that much more real. And it starts to change us because we hear how ugly they sound and like, oh, I did this and this and this. And, and God's like, yeah, okay. And so it's okay to bring that to him and say, hey, forgive me of these things. And I, and I will forgive my debtors. I will, forgive, I will continue to forgive the people who have sinned against me. Just be honest with God. There's such a temptation, even in prayer, to, to filter, to, to, to put the sepia filter over your prayers, to Instagram, this is how nice my prayers are, God. Don't do that thing. Just be real. This is who I am, Lord. I, I'm one who messes up. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Again, you can acknowledge your sin, but don't wallow in it. Say, God, I need your help for what's coming. I've gone through this. I messed up here. I've blown it here. But there's stuff coming up. I've got that meeting with him later today. I'm going to talk to her tomorrow. This thing's coming up at work. This thing's coming up at school. Like, acknowledge the stuff and go, there's temptation here. God, will you help me? Will, will you walk with me as I go through some, some, some tough stuff here? Now, remember, as you read this prayer, it's not a formula. This isn't like, say these things and then the genie comes out of the lamp and will give you what you want. But only if you say it this way. If you forget to say, our Father, you're out. If you forget to confess your sins in the sermon, in the, in the, in the prayer, you've blown it. Like, that's not okay. You have to ask for only daily bread, not weekly bread. I don't know. Like, it's, it's not like that. It's not a formula. It's an example. And so if you pray and one time you pray you didn't confess your sins, that's Okay. If you pray and you don't use the word daddy or father or something, that's okay. Like he's not trying to give you like the new formula to, to get the gods to respond kind of thing. That's a very pagan idea. He's trying to give you some examples of the kinds of things maybe you start talking to God about. Some, trying to put some relational language around what should be a, a relationship. Um, and he's trying to give us something to look at and to learn from. So we've talked about praying, and we've talked about praying in private. But not all our prayers are private, right? Some prayers are public. People have prayed in the service already. You go to a funeral, a wedding, and people pray. You're in a small group maybe of the church. We're starting up small groups next month. Maybe you're going to be in one of those, and people pray in those. They go to, they go to small groups. Um, when you, when you, but, but it's okay that, that prayers are public, it's okay that people hear your prayers. Jesus is not condemning people for praying publicly. He's condemning people or challenging people because they're praying in order to be seen. And that's a, a very different thing. In fact, sometimes when you hear other people pray out loud, it's helpful and instructive. Some people, and I've heard people who are really great at praying, and I think, man, like the way they word it, that's really, sometimes people can word a prayer that just gives the words to what you were thinking or feeling. You're like, that is great. I, I I wholeheartedly agree with that. Sometimes I hear people pray, and it's not a show, and I just think, man, there's some depth to that person that they would say those things. Like, they've been through a lot, I can tell. And that's a, that's a, cool, that's a cool thing. It's okay uh, to, to pray 
um, publicly. In fact, we're going we're gonna to do it next week, uh, next Tuesday night on January 28th. We're having a prayer night, a worship and prayer night. We are getting together to sing and raise our voices and speak truth. We're going to be in 2810 in our, in our building um, just over here, and you can join us 7 o'clock that night. We're going to spend half the time praying and half the time singing, and we're going to come together. You'll see some people there. You'll, you'll, it's hard to meet people in here. You might meet some new people. You'll pray together. We're going to pray for our city and violence and racism and all the things kind of going on and pray for the public schools and we'll, we'll, we'll pray through the Psalms and we'll, we'll, we'll do some group prayer on some macro level things and then we'll pray about your stuff, like what's going on and your family and your challenges and all that. We will, we will do that whole thing uh, together on, on Tuesday night, the 28th, and I hope all of you can come out and join us because it's going to be a fun night and we, we're going to sing in that building and if you've not been in the, in the front room there where we're going to be singing, it's fantastic and it sounds fantastic. And uh, it's going to be a really good thing. Um, and we're, we're doing that because God asks us to communicate with him and, and speak to him. And I know that gets intimidating for us, but it is worth pursuing. You see, our, our prayer, um, even our public prayer life, is built by our private life. And who you are in private, who you are day after day, when you're just kind of putting in the reps, that prepares you for whatever's coming. Because sometimes our prayers, you know, can prepare you well for good things that you're about to receive, that you would receive them well and with humility. And sometimes your personal, private prayer life will set you up for very hard things that you're about to go through and can get you ready for that. Dave Stone was the senior pastor of Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, He retired there last year, and when he retired, the church had 28,000 people, roughly. It's a big church. Um, I've been to their church building, and uh, they have more toilets in their church building than most churches have people. Uh, it's amazing. Like, the, the place is incredible, um, especially if you love toilets. Like, it's, it's wonderful. Um, he retired there, um, and a few years back in a sermon, he talked about something that had happened to him when he was a kid. And he tells the story, and I just want to read it to you and then just ask you a question about it when we're done. Um, so he said this. When I was about six years old, our family was in a terrible car accident. We were in a head-on collision in a rainstorm. Both cars were going, going over 50 miles an hour. The oncoming car lost control and hit us head-on. A boy in that car was killed. In our car, my brother and I were not badly injured, but my parents were. My father's glasses were shattered, and he had to have 21 pieces of glass removed from his eyes. My mom suffered a skull fracture and was bleeding profusely, and we didn't know if she would live. She spent the next week in an ICU unit fighting for her life with a 50-50 chance of survival. But as long as I live, I'll never forget sitting in that car out in the middle of the field. In the distance, we could hear the sound of sirens. And while we waited there in shock, my dad broke the silence, and he said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he went through the 23rd Psalm. I can still remember his inflection as he quoted, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. That's one of the earliest and yet most vivid memories of my childhood. So here's the question. When the sirens are going off, in your life, and you or your loved ones are facing 
the most frightening thing you'll ever experience, what are the words that are going to come to your lips in that moment? Will you quote a psalm? Will you have words to pray? Or will you quote a meme or a, a song lyric or, you know, a popular opinion? Do the work now, the secret hidden work of reading, of praying, and, and, and let God use that to build you up so that in whatever comes your way, you're, you're, you're going to be ready for that moment when the sirens are going off for you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be a, a church that prays, that gathers, that um, gets into your word. And I, I pray now, God, that this message and, and um, Jesus' teaching from the Sermon on the Mount would drive us deeper, deeper into the heart of things, not, not um, the surface. Because, God, surface-level faith um, does not make resilient people, does not make resilient kingdom citizens. God, help us to dig deeper than that, to do the work, um, to, 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 to dig the wells, the wells deep so that we can draw the water. Um, God, um, I, I thank you for so many people in this church who pray, who pray for each other, who pray for the city, who pray for the needs that are there in this community, and um, help us to continue to do that corporately, privately. Um, may we be a praying people who listen to you and who, who follow after you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.